Lisa McCune first performed on stage at the age of 15, playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. She is synonymous with the character of Maggie Doyle in the popular television drama Blue Heelers. The role would earn her a swag of awards, including four gold logies, as the most popular personality on Australian TV. McCune is not an actor to be defined by one role, and has continued to amass a vast repertoire of performances on television and in plays and musical theatre. She trained at the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, demonstrating a resilience and ambition as the youngest student to be accepted into the course. Her immense charm and engaging persona have made her the perfect casting in a succession of Rodgers and Hammerstein roles, where she has delighted audiences as Maria in The Sound of Music, Nellie Forbush in South Pacific and Anna Leon Owens in The King and I. Her range is vast and she has given a terrific assortment of performances. Nonsense, Guys and Dolls, The Potato Factory, Sea Patrol, 33 Variations, Little Fish, Cabaret, Urine Town and How to Stay Married to list but a few. Lisa was giving her Gertrude in Hamlet for the Bell Shakespeare Company when the pandemic hit our shores and forced the closure of many theatres. Adept at musical theatre, comedy and drama, she is immediately likeable and accomplished in her navigation of character and story. It was indeed a pleasure to converse with Lisa from afar and contemplate her career, craft and the coronavirus. Lisa McCune, thank you for talking to Stages today. Oh, it's really lovely to be joining you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Especially, I mean, it's not as if we, we're, we're lacking time. Uh, everybody seems to have plenty of time on their hands at the moment. How have you been amusing yourself during the, the pandemic? Well, it, it's really interesting because normally you'd kind of think to yourself, oh, and I'm lucky to have all this time. I can put a whole lot of extra work into scripts and looking at things that might be coming up. Um, but, of course, everything is gone off that landscape. So the job that I was currently doing has been gone, which was um, Hamlet at Bell Shakespeare. Yeah, you were, on then, stage. you were on stage at the time, weren't you, when the, uh, the theatre yeah, lockdowns came in? we were. And, and interestingly, I said to someone, we were, um, I think we were the last show out of the Opera House because we were in the, um, we set it under 500, just under 500. So leaving the Opera House the day that I went to pick up my gear was one of the strangest feelings of walking out of the Opera House with no people around it there was no you know obviously no audiences gathering um it was a really it just became a desolate building it was quite fascinating to see this you know mighty iconic building really lose its sparkle really without people and crowds and it really is a a place of culture and it but it needs people and things inside it so so anyway but then um but back to spending time so of course now I'm just trying to um to try and stay fit. Um, we're getting online every morning and doing classes with our, with Nigel Poulton, who was our um, sta- helped with staging on Hamlet. So every morning we all gather and uh, and do some stuff online. But I think it's just trying to stay um, fit. I've got three kids, so I'm helping them with online schooling. Well, I'm not really. I'm just cooking food and working on the house. But I think you know, I, I really had to say to myself the other day, um, you've, I've got should be doing some singing. I should be doing. You know, I'm doing lots of reading, which is terrific because I've got time. Um, but funnily enough, I kind of think that maybe sometimes there'll be great things that do come out of this time, apart from the obvious, you know, collapse within our industry particularly, and we'll be the last ones to go back because of the size of um, the people that we need, particularly in live theatre. Um, but I'm just going to try and use it wisely and look to the positives of what good can come from it. Uh, the production of Hamlet, you were only about four performances in, was that right? You had opened, hadn't you? Oh, we'd opened. I think we got about two weeks under our belt. So we, um, yeah, we'd, we'd done about two weeks. So we we were kind of, we just settled and it was a gorgeous, very happy company and, and I was having a lovely time. But look, these things happen and the, co- the company were have been absolutely amazing. And I know um, the day that we finished up, we had drinks back at Bell and, I, I, you know, you could see uh, everybody was um, obviously devastated, but it was fantastic to see the heads of the company um, putting their heads together with other, you know, um, people trying to work out how they were going to navigate it. You know, what are the repercussions? Um, you know, people needing tickets back. All, you know, all of that stuff for theatre companies is so massive and um, and really important to the livelihood. Um, I, I, I was walking through the gardens every day. Um, the botanical gardens on the way to the opera house um, from Surrey Hills where I was staying and 
I, was, I just I thought about Lyndon at the Opera Company and thought, my God, I was looking at that Traviata set. You know, they just got the massive chandelier cranes in there and all of the seats set up for Opera on the Harbour, and that was devastating to see the scale of that probably have to come down. So yeah, I mean, we've really who would have seen this one coming? We should have known when those bulldozers in China started um, digging that <laughs> things were about to go south. Well, I, I believe it's not the first production of Hamlet to be closed by a plague. Oh, no, exactly. We did have a bit of a laugh about that. We thought, but apparently we were like, people were saying that, you know, Shakespeare would just kind of up and move towns and, you know, they could escape it that way. But um, I think I think Shakespeare had to deal with quite a few of these, actually, when he was writing. So, yeah, I think it's Shakespeare's birthday today, actually, or yesterday. Oh, Funny. Yeah, oh, happy birthday, While we're Bill. talking. Yes, exactly. I believe he wrote, um, I I think it was King Lear uh, in isolation when, you know, when the theatres closed that um, one of those Mm. times. Mm. Was this your first taste at Shakespeare? Had you done that before? No, I hadn't. And it was something that had been on my bucket list. And I, I, poor old Peter Evans at Bell, I think that the company gave me a shot at it because I've been kind of harassing them in the media every time I did an interview and someone would say, what do you want to do? And I'd say, Shakespeare. I want to do Bell Shakespeare. Um, but it was um, – I, I, God, I had a lovely time doing it though and, the, you know, working with um, some of the actors um, there and Peter and, um, you know, Peter Evans and James Evans and, you know, these guys really know their Shakespeare and it's fun. And I really – to look at text in such depth and, um, and look at the master – which is Shakespeare and story. And, you know, we see how much of our theatre comes from the work that he did. So it's extraordinary. It was really, really awesome to do. And I'm so, my instinct was that I really needed to go and do that. And um, I hope I get to do another one. Gertrude, of course, a terrific maternal role. She's sort of maternal. She is maternal. What was your Gertrude like? I don't know. I I had a really, I, I find her really fascinating. Thing actually, because she's not, she's on the page, there's not a lot there, but you know, I mean, she's a really fascinating, strong woman, I think, because um, to be a woman in those times, we were setting out kind of um, in the 60s, but I think she was a real, as a lot of women in those times probably were, she, I, I think, even though she's not, you know, utter, she, she doesn't utter a lot of words throughout the piece, she's, um, She's a bit of a master of um, knowing how to play her political card. And, you know, I did so much reading about this as well and about the time and about women and about, you know, women that were coming out of, you know, coming out of, uh, they were widows and to, to maintain her power in the court, which I think she actually really liked. It was just great to muck around with who this person was because she's not on the page. I mean, ultimately, those characters are there to serve Hamlet but she is a huge part of why Hamlet does what he does. So it was really great to peel all of that back and really spend the time and immerse yourself. And we had four and a half, five weeks and working with all of these really young actors and, you know, they were magnificent. They're really hardworking. I was so inspired by them. And, um, yeah, it's really great time. You've had uh, extensive experience on the stage, of course, but perhaps to to most punters, they know you uh, from your very regular TV appearances. You've had incredible success on the box, uh, four-time Gold Logie winner, an extraordinary achievement, and probably one of the first actors to be acknowledged rather than a a variety personality. Isn't it? It's It's funny when you look back at all of that. I mean, it's really, for me, I was really lucky, and I think I was in the right place the right time and I quite often talk to younger kids and it's I love having chats to young kids that are really keen like I was um you know in that kind of late high school age going into university and you know just being absolutely immersed in the in in the arts and loving it so much and knowing that that's what I wanted to do but I love talking to them and and um yeah and just feeding that kind of I guess that that passion but trying to tell them too that it is about being in the right place at the right time because you can have a very different career. You need mentors, you need people who support you, who might see you, might see something in you that would be right. And I've had a couple of 
those experiences and I and I do think that there is a lot of luck because I know a lot of incredibly talented people that if I was in the position of power and making a lot of these things I certainly yeah. would be employing them so you know because I see it when I'm as an actor I'm working with them and I see it and I just go god they're magnificent and why do we not have enough we just don't have um enough work here sometimes and um, that's why I think that there are positives about um, our actors going overseas because there's more opportunities um, you know outside our shores um, and, and look you don't have to say anything but I can offer it I think there's a lot of people in uh, in key roles as well who aren't that talented so um, you know that's that's their pathway yeah, we, that have got there and um, that's the biz I guess happy accidents and right place right time I, I, I think so. And, I, you know, I, I really am trying to tell these kids too to find mentors. I was really lucky early in my career. Um, you, you know, I remember on the television side of things, I was really lucky that I crossed paths at Channel 7 in those early years. I had a great agent in Robin Gardner. I mean, I think that she was magnificent. She sat me down and I, I remember my first meeting with her and I said, I, I really want to live in Sydney. She said, I want to start you in Melbourne. And I, so I came to Melbourne and she said, you're going to work in television. And I thought I said I really just wanted to be in Les Mis <laughs> I just really wanted to do powerful musical theatre and um but she was kind of right and um but at those early mentors you know at Channel 7 Hal McElroy I guess whose show Blue Healers was um there was you know um there was some people that were working at Channel 7 in executive roles who kind of kept getting me back to do pilots and they kept using me and so they were seeing something there that they thought they could work with. Um, so, yeah, it was, a really, it was a really good time. Of course, kids in my coming out of drama school now, like I am now, most of them are just heading straight overseas if they want to do television because, you know, they get a good agent and they just kind of skip town to, um, to, to go to the big smoke, I guess. That's terrific foresight from Robin Gardner um, because you'd trained in the music theatre course at, uh, at WAPA um, mm. and, and she could see through that and see that you had the potential to be a terrific television actor, not just put you in musicals. I found that you were typecast a little bit when you cut out of WAPA. You were either a music theatre performer or you were an actor if you'd done the drama course. Yeah, and I, look, I do think that that happens because we do like to label things, don't we? I mean, what, mm. whatever, we, we like to have a label. We, And I think that that's, I realised that pretty early on and I decided that I, that's actually why I left Blue Healers. I was so safe. I was so happy there. We were, you know, right at the peak of our success as a show and I just thought I have to, I have to go because I've been here six years and I am not going to work if I don't move sideways. I could really feel the walls coming in and, and I've tried to put myself in really scary unpredictable places since you know and take the risks and sometimes I don't pay off um and I but but I really do try to do that because uh, I, I try not to be pinned down too much and um yeah that's it's really important to me and I think I have to keep stretching myself and stretching the muscles and um and I'll, I'll continue to do so where I can that's very brave to to leave a show like Blue Healers. That must have that show must have given you a lot of currency with with networks and producers as far as future jobs, or was it a bit of a challenge? Um, yeah, I think everybody was kind of trying to look for something for me. I mean, Channel Seven. Um, I after I decided to leave, um, John Frost actually, uh, we I auditioned for Sound of Music and I, I did Maria and in his um, two thousand production. And interestingly, that was such a great move for me and I'll be forever grateful for Frosty because I, because I think he's just such a gorgeous man and a really great producer and I love doing that production. Um, but then Channel 7, we keep had, had discussions about trying to find another vehicle um, to step into and I had lots of meetings and lots of discussions. I did a thing called the Potato Factory, which Channel 7 used me for um but sometimes you've got to let the audience kind of have it take a bit of a breather and and they can't see you straight away doing another role um and i guess for me television didn't really kick back in until i did sea patrol um again another hal mcelroy show which he spoke to me and i think i started that around 2007 i think um and in the meantime i'd had three children so i've I kind of tend, I use my time wisely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always keep it doing something. Were you an avid TV watcher as a kid? I mean, did you come home from school and plonk yourself in front of the telly? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I loved television. I mean, I, I, grew, I grew up um, 
I loved Doctor Who and the goodies and I Dream of Jeannie and I loved Elizabeth Elizabeth Montgomery, I can't say her name quickly, in yeah, Bewitched. In, yeah. I just, yeah, and Get Smart and I'm sure my whole sense of humour is based around Mel Brooks and, you know, his wonderful writing and all of those great characters. And, yeah, I, I really was a big TV watcher and I just got lost in it. But I read books and watched a lot of movies and... You know, Saturdays in Perth where I grew up, I'd play netball in the mornings and then the afternoon I'd kind of go and sit upstairs in my house in the suburbs and watch movie musicals. And But I do remember seeing Les Mis in Sydney, um, which my mum, we'd gone back to visit my grandparents because she's from Sydney and seeing Les Mis was such a turning point in my life. I was just, just it really blew me away that music could, I think it's pretty much through composed, isn't it? Like yeah, very much so. It yep. just, yep. it actually just struck me that I felt like I'd been spoken to, and that these characters had words. But really, it was just sung, and there was music the whole way through. It was so huge when that barricade turned around. I just went, "Oh my god!" I missed that in the latest production. You know that reveal on the barricade. Yes. But um, that I was so powerful, and you know those those incredible performers um, in the late eighties. You know. Um, Marina Pryor over the years has become a good friend and she blows me away. I just think she's an extraordinary performer and they really, you know, Anthony Warlow and, um, you know, and Philip Quast and those guys, yeah. they were so Simon mighty. Simon Burton, Rowe. Oh, yeah. I mean, just extraordinary. Just that era. Maybe it was because I was young and they really just, they became, they became my gods. But they were really good actors too, you know. I think that that's what I decided that I wanted to be an actor who sings rather than a singer who acts, which is fortunate because I think my acting's stronger than my singing. <laughs> you were born in Sydney, but uh, you grew up in Perth. Was that is that because Dad was stationed there? Because he was in the Navy, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, no, my dad was in the Navy. My mum's a Sydney girl, so um, and Dad was from Perth. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they met there. They married very young. And, um, and yeah, so I was born in Sydney and then um, they went back to WA and then and I was there until I left um, Whopper. Um, which was – it was a beautiful place to grow up, Perth, you know. I mean, it really was an ideal childhood. It was beautiful sunsets and life on the beach and holidays on the beach. And, I mean, a beautiful, beautiful place. Kind of a place, too, where your imagination can just explode a little bit. I yeah. think that was a great thing. Um, I, I agree. It's a magnificent place. I'm lucky enough to get back there about once a year. So um, I love better than me. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in country Victoria, actually, but um, oh, where from? Still, where are you from? Ballarat. Oh, see, Victoria. We are a really lucky country. I mean, pretty much whenever I talk to someone where they're from, I kind of go, "Oh, I love Ballarat," or "I love, you know, far north Queensland." Or we are hugely lucky. I remember when I first. Oh, and of course, to... Ballarat's huge with the arts now, aren't they? Oh, you know, very Ballarat's much so. actually a real centre for the arts. Yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? Well, that beautiful um, Her Majesty's Theatre, which is in, in Ballarat. Uh, yeah. Gorgeous and, and lots of which great, they're doing great up. singers. They're they doing are. that one up at the moment. At the I loved moment. that because they told me about the beautiful old. I was there with um, gorgeous Roland Roccicelli. I met him there and I did a work that he wrote, which was very good. Um, but they had the beautiful old um, warmers for people's feet. So they yeah. run the gas through them, which they'd actually taken from some other theatre and installed them. And apparently they were keeping them in the renovation, which is great. They'd be close to finishing that now. Almost, yeah, yeah. I spoke to Roland recently on stages. He was an episode. And, of course, he's a Perth boy or Kalgoorlie. Yeah. He's yeah. such a beautiful man. He's a very talented writer, actually. I, I must give him a call. That reminds me. Um, but he's list. a really talented writer. And um, I did one of his uh, – I did a reading of a piece that he wrote, which is a two-hander, and it's really good. He's such a clever man. Now, when I went to Perth the first time, I was struck by the brown stains that were on walls and on the footpaths. And <laughs> what, what is all this? These dirty walls, and of course, it's the ball water which is used to um, to water the gardens. I know. I went back there to do um, no. I went back to do South Pacific, and I said to somebody, "I got off the." It was this kind of romantic gesture of coming home. I said, "I got off the plane, and I I could just smell Perth." And this person said, "Yeah, that's the ball water." <laughs> so, yeah. I wasn't thinking about that, but they were right. You first graced the stage at the age of 15, I believe, playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. 
Yeah, well, I, I was talking to Lara Mulcahy about this, who was in my year at WAPA, and I'd actually gone to her mum's dancing school, um, which is where I first met Lara, and um, we'd done, you know, lots of bits and pieces before. But, no, I think that's when I started getting a bit more serious about things is when I um, went and did Dorothy and uh, at the local repertory. Um, it was the Wanneroo Repertory, and I... I had the best time. I did a couple of shows with those guys. They were lovely people. And um, you, I always say to the young kids now, if you can go and do any of that stuff, it's a great place to learn and it's a great place to go and work backstage. It's a great place to um, – I remember sewing my own costumes, not for Dorothy but for other shows that I did there. It's really good. It's kind of grassroots stuff. And then from there – um, I that got the idea to um, go to Whopper um, and audition. So, and I believe yeah. that you were accepted into both the classical singing and the music theatre courses. Well, at the time there was a certificate course at um, the Con, and I'd been studying classical voice with a beautiful singing teacher in WA, Gloria Wilson. Her daughters, um, her whole family sing actually. She's just magnificent teacher and very kind. I saw her from about the age of thirteen, and um, I, I auditioned for the certificate course, and and I was accepted. But I auditioned for music theatre as well, and I, I kind of I think knew that I'd never have. Um, I mean, I loved singing classical music. I just loved the all that high soprano stuff I used to sing, I used to love leaping around and, you know, all of you know, that, the way the voice could move around it. It's just joyous to listen to. But I kind of think I knew that I um, vocally maybe not would not have made it there and music theatre seemed to sit a little better for me. How did you uh, learn about WAPA? Because it was, uh, that, that course was quite young at the time that you were accepted, wasn't it? I'd love to say I found out about it, but it was probably my mum. I think she was kind of always, you know, putting a pamphlet, um, you know, on the end of my bed or I think she knew. Oh, no. And it was also there was a – I had a very interesting experience actually and um, this is – I don't know if I've told this story much, but when I was doing that production of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, we went to, to the Playhouse, I think it was. Yeah, it was the yep. Playhouse, Playhouse in the city in Perth, yeah. And we were doing this Sunday night performance and it was a whole lot of local theatres. Jeff Gibbs, who was running Whopper at the time, was there. And he got up on stage at the end and he said, if that little girl who sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow wants to come and see me after, we should have a chat about going to Whopper. And I, I think that that was my first taste of having somebody maybe turn a light on. It was a light bulb moment where I thought, you know, and that, that to me is what mentoring is. That was a suggestion by somebody who was in a place of authority, who um, knew what they were doing, who ran a school, who kind of, I don't know, they just shone a light on me for that, that little moment. And actually that was probably how it happened. And it was after that that I went, oh, the academy, oh, it's a place, it's like the school of fame. There's yeah. dancers at lunchtime, you know, doing numbers on the, the cafeteria tables. <laughs> kind of was a bit like that though. Um, and, yeah, so it was actually that was probably what it was. It was, it was Dr Gibbs. Mm. Do, do you remember what you did for your audition? Yes, it was tragic. Uh, um, I, did, um, <laughs> I did think of me from... Um, Phantom? Phantom. I actually can't. Maybe I can't remember what my other song was. And then I remember doing a piece where I forgot the words and Milson said, you're not a parrot, just read it. And, uh, and then I went back and I, did, um, uh, and I did the dance auditions. I got through to the dance auditions. I was really young because I was a year ahead at school. So I think I started at Whopper, you know, just as I was turning 17. I must have been just turning 18 or just turning 17. But I was, I was young and it was, it was kind of a very grown-up place for me to go to. So, yeah, you, you, I think you were, have been one of the youngest students to be taken in there. What are the challenges with, uh, you know, coming straight out of high school? Yeah, I think for me I was very quiet that first year I because I had to and our numbers in our year, I mean, we started with about 20, we graduated with seven. So over that period of, you know, you'd always be terrified at the end of um, semester break or whatever when they some people, were, you know, it wasn't a good fit so they were asked to move on and I was always really terrified that was going to be me um, because I, I was quite, I kind of started to find my voice in second year, you know, like my, my place, my confidence a little more. I worked really hard. I'd get there for piano practice at like, you know, seven in the morning and I did work really hard and um, and I guess maybe they just saw that I was committed. Um, maybe they... 
I, I do, I'm so thankful now though that I um, was, I came out of WAPA trained, well not completely trained, it's a lifelong thing isn't it, the arts, mm, but yep. I came out having done a drama school bachelor by the time I was 20 and so I guess WAPA was the school to kind of go to at that time for music theatre and so therefore, you know, I, I, they, there was this there was this really young girl who'd just come out who was, who I, I, I imagine they looked at that and thought, well, that, that's great, that's unique. And then um, years later, I kind of came back from after a three-day visit to the States, and I remember saying to them at Gardeners, the schools have got to start taking the kids younger because you can't graduate. You can't. Be, some people have great careers, but generally when you're coming out and, you know, you're not 27, 28, for, especially for females, you're actually already, you've missed your kind of a, a certain amount of time in the industry um for some people find it later and that's great but i think if you know what you want to do this it's good to get, get in and get out young it also sets a lot of great disciplinary things in place and um and for me it was a terrific move yeah i guess if you're coming out at 25 26 27 you are competing against other actors performers who have had that you know that that six seven years experience in the industry and the profile as well yeah, and, you know, it's it's so interesting when you kind of come across performers, um, you know, like the Jill Perrymans and, um, you know, Nancy Hayes and all of the greats. It, there were no drama schools, but those guys were kind of, I guess, in training at JC Williamson's when they were young. And so they, they, you know, or wherever they, whatever shows they were doing, they kind of got their training on the job. But they were young, I think, and I, I guess that's our version of it these days. I mean, some people are lucky. They just, you know, walk straight into a gig early, no drama school experience, and they just work their way up. But I think it's rarer these days. Um, I loved Whopper, the product that they used to produce, you know, for the, for the production experiences that we did. They were they were really unusual and, and interesting musicals. What were the shows that you did when you were there? Um, well, isn't it funny? You know, I, I think I'll go through that in a sec, but I do think it had a lot to do with um, having glorious, glorious teachers and particularly Dennis Follington, and, um, who I just think is a such a beautiful man who has such knowledge and such joy in him and Milson you know we did um my first year we did um oh we did such great shows my gosh we did Robber Bridegroom and the guy and he came across from the states to do that with us the professor I think he was at the time um second year we did the frogs and we actually did it in a pool um out out in Fremantle oh great the Sondheim musical yeah, we did we did the frogs, and uh, it was great. We did oh what a lovely war. Um, I went across and did a couple of things at the cons. So I did the cunning little vixen, and um, what else did we do? Our graduating productions. Oh gosh, I can't even remember. Oh, we did boys from Syracuse. Um, I mean, how lucky were we? We oh, were very just, lucky. I mean, that repertoire. When would you get to do that professionally? Really, I mean, it's well, fantastic. We, I to sink know. Your teeth I know. And then, of course, in my year, we had um, Anne Adlam, who Anne was a little bit older than some of us. So she'd had quite a lot of experience in Perth and she she knew her stuff. And having someone like that, it really lifted the bar. And, you know, it it was just the best. I mean, I I think it probably took me 10 or 15 years to kind of get over such a great time. I always kind of thought if they did another year on the top of it to go back and do like a, you know, a master's, I'd be back there in a shot because I just loved it. I loved getting there every morning, starting at seven in the morning and not leaving until whatever time at night and just doing what I loved. And it doesn't stop at training, does it? I mean, you, you have the three years, you graduate, but a lot of learning continues on the job, doesn't it? What what skills are you developing in your early years as an actor? Um, well, I think, you know, you learn from great people, don't you? I mean, I, I was so lucky that I... Um, Again, it's like, so after doing television, so I worked with William McGuinness and John Wood and Julie Nile and every week guest actors coming in doing um, guesties with some of the best people around. I then would, you know, in my spare time, I'd be let out to go and do things like um, um, a son time over at Melbourne Theatre Company with Roger Hodgman and I did a show with Pam Rabe and Ruth Cracknell and Helen Morse and John O'May and... You know, like for a young performer, how can that not, by osmosis in some way, inform you um, and your work, the work ethic and the way you approach things? I, I'll always remember Pam Rabe and Ruth Cracknell gathering every night in performance and trying to work out this one, this one laugh that they were, you know, that they were after, and they were they were such technicians. Greg Stone was in that production as well, 
And I, I've just been so lucky. I've crossed paths with some people that I think are, that they really are, they're such good performers. And it hasn't stopped, you know. Yes, you never stop learning. You, you become a sponge and just absorb and um, continue the apprenticeship. It is totally that. It really is that. I don't think that you ever become a master. I mean, I, and I, and I think doing it without ego and without, um, you know, and, and asking questions and, you know, being. I think that's what I liked about going and doing Bell, um, doing Hamlet, was because I was the novice in the room. I loved being the novice in the room. I had no shame about that at my age. I just completely loved it and I guess I brought elements that perhaps contributed to the room in other ways I don't know one of your jobs after graduating from Whopper was a 12-month contract with Coles playing Lisa Mm. the girl next door checkout chick um how did you cope with being recognized because I imagine people would start to to know your face um it went for about a year that or just over a year um I guess it um I, I, yeah, I guess I guess it starts putting you under. I mean, maybe casting people start to know you. I think it can work for you. It can work against you too if it's not if it's an annoying campaign. Um, yeah, but it was just. I think financially that was great because I've kind of got you know you get when you do a campaign like that. I kind of got you know a one pay gig and it kept me in Melbourne because of course starting out as a young actor and having to pay rent for the first time and you know all the part time jobs you have on the side and trying to audition. Um, and I was homesick. I was really homesick. Um, so that kind of, it just, it was kind of like my launch pad. Blue Heel is probably attracting a lot of fans then. Do, you, do the fans generally behave? In my in my experience, I mean, I, I never really had. So we, we had a year of Blue Heelers where it didn't do very well its first year. It really started to kick in after about 40 episodes which makes you realise how hard it is for a new series to start these days is because if it doesn't work the first night, it's moved. And that to me is like Blue Heelers would not have survived in today's climate. It would have gone because we had the t- we had an audio problem the first night it went to air. The tennis was somehow played over the top of the, the vision, so all you could hear was, you know, <laughs> over the top of the audio. So we, di- we didn't rate and so we probably wouldn't have had a life. Things kind of with drama particularly, I think you need to get to know the characters, which is why binge watching is great because you can watch the second one straight away and you kind of get to become part of that family almost. Um, and now I've forgotten what your question was because I went off on a tangent. Oh, How the, unlike the, me. <laughs> I love it. Um, the fans that you start to acquire oh. during that, that high-profile role, uh, do they behave generally? Yeah. I, look, I, I, I've never found anybody to be obtrusive people might like to um ask you some questions and the minute they realize that you're pretty normal um then it's great i love seeing somebody relax when they speak to me if they've liked a character that i play i really like that and and i get it i get a i get a bit of a thrill now i didn't at the time because i was so busy i never never was exposed to anybody who was a fan of blue hillers because we were in the studio from you know 42 weeks a year um and probably working more than that. And we were in the studio five days a week. Then we'd have publicity and learning lines on the weekends. So we didn't really see anybody. Um, but later on, you know, like now I'll meet somebody in their mid-20s and they'll go, I loved Blue Healers. I loved Maggie Doyle. And that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, that makes – it's really – but it's nice now. It wouldn't have been then. I would have been really embarrassed. I, I always felt like I had to keep working harder. I've got that terrible thing about going, it's not good enough. I've got to work harder. What can I do to make it better? Which is which is a, a great thing in many ways too. But, um, yeah. So I, and particularly when I won gold logies, like I, I kind of took great joy in the next morning going straight back to work. I didn't want to kind of start, you know, thinking that I was getting, or I didn't want anyone else to think that I was getting too big for my boots. Really important to me that. So a working actor. Yeah, I just yeah, and I really wanted the respect of um, the crews that I worked with and the writers because I knew it was a group. Um, television and stage is it's very much a group um, effort you can't do it without other people and I love that it's given me great joy over the years is the people so when you're doing shows like Little Night Music and Into the Woods at MTC are are you taking time off from the 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 TV show or are you just having long days 
um, little night music was they were really long days so they were um, with a little I've got a feeling that sometimes part of the rehearsal period might have been when we had a two-week break if, I can't even remember if we had breaks but no it, they, they would write me out of certain parts of Blue Healers um, you know the, I mean this was kind of three or four years in so when I negotiate a contract I'd say that I'd like to have some time to do some theatre um, just so I was doing something else and um, yeah, so they were incredibly long days. So you'd kind of, I'd be in makeup by 6.30 in the morning and then five days a week and then be going to the theatre until 10.30 at night. So I worked really hard and I I loved it. I could think of no other happier state to be in than than that. Well, I suppose you'd but arrive at, the, at stage door and you'd just re-energise. Yeah, I just had little routines. You know, it happened to me again recently um, when I had um, I was shooting How to Stay Married with Peter Hellier and it overlapped with um, a play that I was doing at MTC called Gloria. And so I just kind of had it really down pat where I'd, you know, leave set by a certain time, get to the theatre, eat, put my head down for half an hour, jump in the shower, go on stage, repeat the next day. Um, I was actually doing that while kind of, you know, doing three kids as well. But I just, I was really organised. I just sat down with it beforehand and I went, how do I make this work? And I really wanted to do it. And so I just did it. That doesn't happen very often. But, you know, when it does, you've got to, because, you know, those opportunities don't come around. And if they collide and they're their only two jobs for the year, then you make it work. There can be many knockbacks in this industry for for actors, uh, not mm-hmm. getting jobs that they've been put up for, etc. How does one remain resilient? Um, I tell a lot of younger kids this. Um, I say to them, and I've, it's taken me a really long time to realise this. It doesn't matter how good you are. Sometimes the the mix is not right because they might have already cast the male lead and or they might have another female already cast that kind of looks like you. And, you know, there's so many elements that go into getting something right. And, you know, the producers have got a lot on the line. Um, I understand that now. I understand that they have to sell tickets and they they always want to find new talent and they always want to give it an opportunity to somebody new and cheaper um, <laughs> because that's how we keep the industry alive. But they also have a risk that they have to carry and that, took, you know, I really understand that and I take my hat off to people like John Frost and um, a beautiful young producer that I worked with last year when I did 33 Variations with Ellen Burstyn. Um, Cameron Lukey, his name is. I mean, you know, they put everything on the line and, and they work so hard to get these shows up that... Um, you you have to respect their decisions and um, you just keep chipping away at it. You just got to keep chipping away and and become a become very analytical. Be able to step back from yourself and go, okay, what am I? And it's easier now than it ever has been because you can video yourself on an iPad. You can listen to yourself on a recorder. You know, there's so many ways that you can work on your craft um, if you are keen. But you do have to be analytical. I think. I imagine that you're viewed uh, by casting people sometime and audiences as as the girl next door type. Uh, do you look for projects that might subvert that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did cabaret and that kind of backfired to a degree, even though, you know, I really enjoyed doing that and got a lot out of it. Around the same time as I did a TV show called Martial Law, which I played a bit of a a lawyer but she was um she was a bit out there and you know she was pretty loose and uh, people didn't really uh, kind of deal with that very well after Maggie Doyle I just wanted to see Maggie but oh look I just these days I just I look for things that um I'm not a great one for jumping on a show and doing a guest role that's the one thing I steer away from I really like being part of a cast that's there all the time I do better work I'm better when I'm kind of ingrained in something and I get a run at it um, I'm really good at being institutionalised. Um, but no, I kind of, I you, I guess because I, I look a certain way and I'm fairly petite, that's why I was always really wrapped that Hal McElroy would call me for things like Sea Patrol where I got to, you know, carry weapons and do weapons training and, you know, fight training. And yeah. I, God, I love doing that stuff because even though that character was kind of the girl next door, she she had balls and, and I really liked that. Um yeah, it's funny how you you, you are seen, um, you know, and you can do what you want and cut your hair and diet and all of that stuff. But, yeah, you're seen, I don't know, you just, we all have um, something about us. We have a quality 
and if you if you get work because the quality is a certain way then um then then it is you just try to be you find your own difference within that well you spoke earlier about john frost uh, approaching you for the sound of music and mm. i believe you had five reasons why you should do the show and one was that you would kick yourself if you didn't challenge yourself in front of a live audience in a lead role were, yeah. were you daunted at taking on a role like maria yeah yeah it is it's so iconic i remember saying to robin gardner um, I, I don't know whether I'm, this is a disaster. I mean, I, but I think Frosty's really smart. That's the one thing that he knows how to cast a show. And he was, you know, it was the right casting at the right time. And um, it was my first job stepping away from Blue Healers and you couldn't get anything more different. And, um, and it didn't backfire. I remember I had a clause in my contract, though. Um, I'd only signed on for Sydney for three months because I thought I wanted them to have an out and I wanted it an out in case it had backfired badly. Um, but it was a beautiful, beautiful production. Susan Shulman, who we're lucky enough to get if we come out of COVID and they still um, can schedule it, is coming back out to do Secret Garden again. She's a beautiful director. And, um, and that was, and Frosty's given me the exposure to work with some international directors, which have been um, really wonderful experiences for me, you know, working with um, Susan Shulman and um, Bart Schur on South Pacific and. Um, and, you know, that, that exposure has been really valuable to me. I've really enjoyed working um, and doing Ian Grandage's production of um, Guys and Dolls and meeting with Sam Mendes very briefly to do Cabaret. I was there on opening night of, of The Sound of Music and uh, you were absolutely stunning. That, that moment that you made your first entrance on the mountains at the start, Sound of Music, you had arrived like this uh, most accomplished leading lady. It was fantastic. Oh, that's so sweet. I remember we, we toyed with it. You know, there was a ramp that I ran down. I remember standing backstage and I was, Maria runs down this ramp and um, Susan Shulman and I, um, we added the jump over the fence because, wow. you know, physically I could do it. And it was just, it was so cool. I mean, I loved, that was a, that, that for me was the moment that I thought that's, that's, that's that girl, you know, and, um, yeah, and that was a really big moment for me. I remember the end of that performance getting through and just and surviving the what is it you can't face Maria moment on stage with Eileen <laughs> thinking. And the crowd went nuts, of course I did. But, um, you know, it was everybody was so generous to me that opening night in Sydney. I just felt like the crowd knew that um, it, was a, it was a big step out of a comfort zone and they really wrapped their arms around me. I don't think I felt it to such a degree ever as that first night. You've, you've done a couple more with South Pacific and, and The King and I. Mm. They're great roles. Any other Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals you think you might do? Oh, I'd, I'd love to do any Rodgers and Hammerstein. I love I love doing their music. And how beautiful is, you know, those those very simple melodies that you remember, one, uh, you know, one listen and you've got that melody in your head. I mean, that's clever writing, but when you put an orchestra behind it, even though it's, you know, not a you know the orchestras might not find it to be as amazing as a you know a grand opera it's a it's a very beautiful sound like that beautiful lush opening of south pacific we'd stand back stage every night and just go oh, that sounds so beautiful um but i love rogers and hammerstein and um yeah I, I would absolutely do anything but of course i'm getting to an age now where i mean i could i could still do anna in the king and i um but really i'm in that transition time um moving into some very different roles. And there's so many beautiful young performers coming through. It's really thrilling. I, I love seeing, you know, all of this talent that's around. Um, it's good. Well, hopefully we'll see you in, in a carousel at, at some point. Oh, I'd like to do, but what, what part would I do in carousel now? I would, see, they're, they're the roles that I missed. I think I would have been a great Eliza. I never got to do Eliza. Oh, yeah. And would, I actually would. do think I would have done that well. Um, so I was a bit bummed about Eliza and and the other one is Carrie. I would have loved to have done um, done that role. Very beautiful role. Beautiful show, Carousel. Oh my gosh, isn't it stunning? Yeah, I and, think it's their um, best score. Yeah, oh, it's so divine. And uh, such great characters and such a love story. Um, but, um, yeah. But, yeah, now I kind of, I, I look at different material. You know, I was a bit excited about, um, well, a lot excited actually about tackling fun home and doing that gorgeous role of um helen the mother 
in that and that that journey that she goes on um, is a beautiful theatrical role. Music theatre is amazing the way it's kind of evolving and we're getting such great stories now. Mm. Um, and that's where I think perhaps I might fit best now is, is in some of these more modern musicals with, um, with really strong books. Are we still going to see Fun Home? I hope so. I don't know. I think, that, I think everybody's just madly trying to work out what is going to happen with our landscape when we're allowed back. Um, at, for the moment, it's on pause. But I definitely think it's a show, particularly for a lot of young people to see. I think it's a really got a lot of great messages and it's. Um, and I, I think that the original source material um, is so good. I think that it's an important show almost. I'd go as far as saying... I read once that you said uh, every on-stage relationship has a different language because the characters are different. And I have mm. to build everything on character. It's not just how I was trained, it's how I feel. I wouldn't be comfortable just giving a performance as myself. What's the process mm. that you adopt in building a character? I read a lot. I mean, I read the piece first and then I, um, I might look at pictures of other productions um, and then I start reading and then I read and read and read and I now that we've got these digital platforms like um, Pinterest and I've got some other ones that I use I start um, I, I have picture boards I'm very visual um, I might listen to um, directors talk about pieces like when I was doing South Pacific um, Alex Budd and um, the director gave me a fantastic book by Josh Logan, who was one of the writers, and he was a director, and, and that gave me such insight into it and then started working with Bart, and I, it was a really brilliant read. I'm a bit of I, – I kind of immerse. I just – Yeah, great, great. It might be a bit lazy really in some ways because, you, you know, but, but I do feel a lot too. You can feel when something's working. You know, like when we put South Pacific together, you could just – there was magic, you know, like you could feel it. And it was just, um, yeah, and, and I've got, it's had a lot to do with, too, I think, with, with what um, Bart Sher brings to the room as a director. And, um, you know, they, they layer it with such importance. And, and the work he'd done with the director, I think the directors are so important too, you know. You, when you work with a good director, they, they've, um, they kind of know how to take you to all those different corners of the room. How did um, motherhood change you as a performer, do you think? Does it extend your emotional palette or your investment, mm. your response? I think age does that more so than motherhood. I think um, I, th I think that I uh, motherhood has made me uh, realise that I have to work really hard to do jobs now because I have to balance that part of my life as well. Um, but they are glorious, my kids, and I try very hard not to ever... Um, I'm steal their thunder is the wrong word, but I don't talk about what I do at home. Occasionally they'll come and see a show. Um, they don't really ask on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, what's going on for me. Um, I was a little cranky that I didn't get a have a good opening night for Hamlet at the Opera House, Mum. <laughs> I thought I thought that was taking it too far. But um, look, they've got their lives, and I'm really they're all teenagers now, so I've got through that hard place. But. Um, they, yeah, they, they have a healthy respect for what I do. I think I'm probably just a bit embarrassing at the moment, but, which is really normal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, for teenagers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you prefer stage or screen? Oh, I, I would have I, neither. I love both. I love the yeah. technicalities of um, working on screen. I like the fact that um, you can really it, – it's an editor's medium to a degree too because there, eventually you, you can film all the work and then the story will be cut to, you know, like they might add three seconds to a look or they might take it away or um, – Whereas on stage, we become the editors to a degree as we're putting the piece together. And then when you put the audience in the mix, you know, we edit as we go, we're obviously still in consultation with the director, but you can kind of, um, that you're more of the manipulator then. Um, you, be, you become the, you're holding the strings. Um, but I love them for both. I love the immediacy of live theatre, which I try to take across to some of the filming that I do and keep it fresh. Um, but I also respect and love working with, um, you know, DOPs and gaffers and, you know, that entire machine that happens in a, in a, in a filming environment. Um, 
I really love that too. So I, I guess for me, if I can step between both worlds, I, I would be the happiest person ever because I, I do love both and I do think that each informs the other. Yeah, very lucky, very lucky. Uh, what about behind the scenes? Would you like to take on roles of producer or director? I've had a couple of things um, that I've worked on as a producer, not projects for myself, but just stories that I really like. And I, it's actually just finding um, the right outlet for those really and, uh, and working with the right people who can mentor you. Um, so, yes, I would. Um, I'd like to work alongside a director. But I, I think, um, yeah, I would jump on the chance if it came. But I, I, I'm, also, I'm also aware of the time limitations and how much you have to do the work. Like yeah. I don't want to kind of start directing and then not fully direct or, you know, you've, you've really got to make a decision and then immerse, there's that word again, you know, immerse yourself in it and do it well. Um, but I've, it's always very, it's kind of intoxicating when you go to work with people like Barcher and you go, oh, my gosh, I just would love to work with him and sit alongside him in a rehearsal room as a, as a resident or something and work on one of his shows because he's so fantastic. Um so but yeah, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. Well, that's the exciting thing, isn't it? Sort of, you've yeah. been someone who's always been able to reinvent themselves. So we look forward to the future and see where that might be. Hopefully, there is a reinvention, or just I just hope that I keep evolving because you know I we we never know what's and coming out of this time, I think that um, we it's it's going to be really thrilling. Actually, I think coming back to be able to sit in a theatre with people, even even though we've only been dark for what, five or six weeks. I think that the idea of going and sitting in a room and watching a live performance again is just going to be brilliant. I, that's what I'm giving to everybody for Christmas this year is going to be getting theatre tickets from me because I think, well, we need to support our industry and I and I just think that we'll be looking forward to it. And, um, and as far as TV and film go, um, I think everybody's kind of binged everything they possibly can and I think we'll be desperate for some new work. So... Perhaps there's some people at home with some really great ideas that are that are bubbling away right this minute. We hope so. Uh, Lise, thanks for taking this time during um, this uh, this lockdown. <laughs> it's oh, been lovely it to chat. Do you know what? It has actually been lovelier for me. The human contact, even if it's only an audible one, is just so great. <laughs> So yes, and we, lovely we talking to you, Peter. Technology. I mean, it's uh, even though we're all sort of in our homes and away from people, we do crave that that contact. Yeah. So it's been great. And that thank we've been you able to for um, having these conversations. And also, you know, maybe there are things that we can continue to do every five years and see what happens in the meantime, like a little time capsule, because you know, we see where some of these careers of the people you speak to do change and evolve, because um, they do. And uh, and of course, um, having gone to the same training school as your good self, we, uh, we've all kind of sprung from similar places. Well, it's a date. I'll see you in 2025. Sounds great. Hopefully <laughs> we won't be going through another pandemic. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Thank you. Lisa McCune is sublime, a divine human being and an intelligent and generous artist. I think it was obvious that we had a great time recording this episode. Thanks for making us a part of your podcast listening. A new episode of The Stages podcast is released every Thursday. And occasionally there's a bonus episode dropped in for good measure. I know that many of you have been recommending the podcast to colleagues and friends. Your enthusiasm is much appreciated, as are the many emails and messages I receive communicating your enjoyment of particular episodes. But you couldn't go one step further. Could you take a moment to rate the podcast and leave a short review. You can do this through the podcast iTunes app where you access this episode. It helps to get the series promoted and received. Until next time, I'm Peter Eyes and you've been listening to another episode of Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives. Keep warm, keep well, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>